Welcome, everyone. My name is Bill, uh, lead pastor here at Bethel Christian Church. And again, it is an honor to uh, get into the Word of God and to wrestle with what is faith, what does it mean to believe, uh, how does that play out in our lives. Uh, just a few quick things before we get started. Uh, we And, and I'll, I'll jump in with belong, but a great opportunity to belong uh, is our church picnic, which is on the 6th of October. Uh, and if you, again, sign-ups, if you need a ride, if you need other things, things. Um, we we want to uh, cover this. And so, yeah, what you can bring, if you need a ride, if you're able to give a ride, this is just a wonderful opportunity after church, um, leaving from here um, on October 6th, uh, just to get together, to know each other a lot better, and to see a lot of different sides of people perhaps you may not be aware of. And so, uh, just a, a great opportunity. Also, a way that we would like to make sure that, that nobody falls through the cracks, that we're able to get information out and able to serve uh, in, in, in crises, uh, weekly, whatever the situation is, we're updating our database, which, which we've been offered lots of money uh, from a lot of telemarketers for. So we want to, I'm kidding. Um, we're updating our, our database, and this is an opportunity for you to actually exist um, with prayer requests, with mailings, with anything and everything going on. And so... Uh, during the sermon, you're, you're, feel free to doodle, but we have these um, right along the aisles. We have these clipboards. Uh, this is the current listings of all that we have. If you could see, hey, I'm here, good, check, done. Or if you're not on here, or if you would like to be signed up in any way, um, toward the, the back we have uh, sign-ups. So if you're on the list, great, just check it. If you're not and would like to be, uh, please, please enter your information here. We don't give this out. We really respect your privacy. But this is a way that we can be better connected to get a hold of people. If there's a, a need or a crisis, we can get information out to you regularly and how we can pray, how we can be part of the body. So... Yeah, no, that's permission for everybody. If you see a clipboard near you, pick it up, pass it around. Um, really, it'll be good. Keep you, uh, keep us all on the straight and narrow. So, uh, little arts and crafts here. Okay, we're looking at the vision of Bethel Christian Church. And for those of you that have been uh, joining us for this series, it's uh, broken down into three very simple things to remember but three very intense, complex parts of how God has made all of us and, uh, and how we can engage. But the simple way of looking at faith, looking at what we're doing here, is belong, believe, be the change. Belong, believe, be the change. Last week we looked at what does it mean to belong. I uh, looked at a verse, uh, looked at some verses from Psalm 87, which is really God's heart. And what was going on in a nutshell was simply people said, this is what it is to be religious. This is how we divide up and you're over there and we're here and we're like this and we're the only ones who belong. And if anyone else wants to belong to God, the God that we serve, they have to be just like us. And this is pretty much how religion, how human nature has worked down through history and, and throughout the world. You conform to this group, you belong. But why, and so typically how we've done faith is we have a message. This is Jesus. This is your need for salvation. You believe these facts. Now you can belong to the group. But really life hasn't worked that way for a long time. As I said before, most people here have heard about 50 different kinds of Jesus. 
they need to see Jesus. And Jesus is best manifest intimately up close and personal. And so for everyone seeking God, everybody who wants to know who is God, I want more of God, I need God, who are you, Lord? Everyone who wants to seek after our creator is welcome here, belongs here. It is a level playing field at the foot of the cross that we are all equally looking to God. And so we want to remove every barrier that would prevent anyone from being able to encounter God themselves. This has nothing to do with running the church, with church leadership, with church policy. All those things are separate. But in terms of a jumping off point, what is the purpose of us being here? It's to show God. To show God to people who desperately, desperately need him, just like me, just like all of us here. And so that's why belong is first. If God is real in my life, if God is real in your life, then, then this is the opportunity to really show what does love look like in our midst as we reach out to others, as we share life. So that's why belong is first, so that in seeing a God consistently, in seeing lives that are being transformed, and seeing a hope that goes beyond our circumstances, there's belief in a person. There's something more here. And so we're going to look at what does it mean to believe, and, and why is that a core value? Now, believe, belong, be the change. Any and every Christian church should be able to claim that. And if you look on any website for any church saying, this is our vision, this is our unique calling, it's all pretty much the same thing. Serving people, reaching the world, loving God, um, caring for others, embracing, the, whatever it is, it's basically saying, this is us with God, this is us together, and this is us in the world. It's being intentional with the life that God has given us and how he's formed us together as a body. Okay. Believe. Everything that we do in this church is unto believing. Believing in what is true, believing in what is real, believing who God is, and accepting Him on His terms, in His way. We want to remove all barriers to people coming to being able to encounter God for the very purpose of people meeting their God. Of saying, this is who God is. Not who I supposed him to be. Not other people's expectations. Not what have I, I've experienced in bits and pieces. But God himself reaching out. It's all unto belief. We can be the most welcoming church in the world. But if it doesn't result in lives being changed and people encountering their savior, it's for nothing. We can be the most efficient church. We can be the most sexy church, the most well put together church, the most famous church for this or for that or for other things. But at the end of the day, everything that we do, if it doesn't result ultimately in people seeing God for who he is, for people responding to the gracious overtures of their savior, what we're doing is just marking time. That's all we're doing. Praise God that his desires for us, for our lives individually and corporately, go so far, so far beyond that. Because the simple story of the Bible is this. Genesis 1 and 2, that's the creation. It was good. And God looked around at all you knuckleheads and he said, it's very good. This is the pinnacle of my creation. You guys, I delight in you. I love you. And then Genesis chapter 3 was the fall. That wasn't enough. 
We felt God was holding out on us. There was a deception. There was pride. We wanted to become our own gods. Everybody, all humanity went our own way apart from God. The lifeline was cut off. Our minds were darkened. Our hearts grew cold. And so we're on our own and all of life became about us. How can I defend me, establish me, make me, make me over others better than comparison, expectation. It was a life that was fragmented. It's a life that's lived in isolation where nobody knows the real person. None of us is the person that we want to be, but we all do a very good job of pretending. And that's the rest of life. You see, when we went our own way, it wasn't, as we looked at earlier, it wasn't just the knowledge of evil, the experience of evil, the effects of evil. It was the knowledge of good and evil, which only God himself can, can handle. So taking this upon ourselves, which we couldn't handle, there was this, this, this disintegration. What God does with belief is he reorients us from this disorientation, from this world that's calling us in a thousand different directions, from a, a, a mind and a body and a self that we are still trying to understand why we do the things we do, why we are still the way we are. Belief is in a person who he is, why he made us, and the whole rest of the story. Belief is in a person, how much this person loves us, what he did to come after us in our rebellion, in our lostness. Belief is in an ongoing relationship with a very real God who knows more about you than you will ever know and loves you more than you could ever imagine. Belief is knowing that right here, right now, I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how your morning went or how 10 years ago went. That right here, right now, there is nothing you can do to make God love you less. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. That his love is absolutely perfect. The problem is that we've learned to believe so many other things in this life. We've learned to live lives that have been so disconnected from one another and disintegrated within ourselves that it's really difficult to believe this, to believe in this person, to believe that such good news could possibly be true. What the church has done in its history for, for, for a lot of different reasons is we kind of separate here. Now, the world looks at us and they say, when you become a, a Christian, cut on the dotted line, remove the brain because you're not going to need it anymore because idiots are Christians. Christians are idiots. Um, but we've done the opposite in the church where we make faith only about from the head up. I believe these facts. I trust the data. I agree with this category. This is the theology that, that makes sense to me. And that's all it is. But that is not belief either. That's a part of belief. That's believing with our minds. That's, that's, that's part of it. But belief has to do with every single part of our beings. Do we bring all of ourselves to church? Do we bring our minds? Do we bring our relationships? Do we bring our bodies? Do we bring everything that we're wrestling with? Do we bring it to church? Because if we check anything at the door, I, I can't bring this to God. I can't share this with others. We're deceived. We're not believing in the wholeness of God, the holiness of God, that God loves every part of us. So when we say belief is a huge deal, that has to do with every single part of who we are. 
That what we need to work on as a body, what pathways of discipleship look like, is how do I live in this body in the most glorifying way possible? How do I use everything that God has given me in a way that exalts Him? How do I understand all of this unfinished business? What do I do with pain and anger and hurt? What does it mean to sin and to be forgiven? All of these things are worked out in real time. And everything that we want to be about as Bethel is to bring the person of Jesus Christ to bear on every aspect of our life. What does Jesus Christ have to say about our sexuality, about our emotional life, about our values, about how we handle money, about how we do relationships? It has an awful lot to say about all of this because every single bit of us is important to him. Now, I could, I could talk about this a lot. And I won't. Um, uh, I'd, I'd like some other people to share and talk about this. What is belief? What is faith? What does understanding more and more who God is against the backdrop of the rest of our lives? What does this look like? How is it played out? So I, I would like to invite Aldo and Maria to the stage. And also I'd like to invite uh, Sue to the stage. Intelligence test, if I can work this mic, that I'm failing miserably. There we go. All right, all right, we're good. Helicopter, okay. Um, with, uh, with talking about faith and talking about belief, sometimes people think faith is just, I believe this fact and done. But, but I just wondered if you would, you'd be comfortable sharing a bit in your journey of faith, what, what that, that looks like to you, what that feels like to you, just your uh, coming into greater uh, understanding of Christ. So I, I, I noticed the subtle okay. redirect. Um, okay, so I can tell you um, I thought I believed in Jesus my whole life. Is that one? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and then I came here. And that was a year and seven months ago. And um, when I came here, I realized what I was missing. And uh, it just, it's filled my my heart. Just, I, I can't even explain it. Uh, I've tried to explain it to many people, but it's it's unexplainable. And uh, it's it's not just... The sermons, and it's not just... Thank God for that. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's not the building. It's just everything all together. It's the people. It's um, the sense of, of, of just being welcomed um, from the very first day till now. It's just being able to be part of something and maybe longing to be part of something and, and just knowing that this is now where I belong and this is, you know, we all share what we believe in, but... It's just, it's that sense of family. It's, mm-hmm. it's just indescribable. It's like my whole life had changed, and now this is it. This is, this is what I want. And this is, I tell everybody to come here and just let Jesus in your heart because it's awesome. Okay. So, so, so faith's sort of like art. It's hard to define, but you know what it is when you see it. <laughs> okay, my story is obviously the same as hers. Um, similar. They're, they're married, just so. <laughs> Um, we came here, um, or at least I know I did, as a need. Okay, we had uh, a lot going on in our life, and we came here with a need. 
Okay. Sorry. Getting a little emotional here. But um, careful where you get the mic to. Um, anyway, so as I was saying, uh, we came here as a need. And after, and Bill happened to be doing the sermon that night. It was at the night service. And the sermon he was giving, I was looking at him. I was like, was this guy following me around? <laughs> you know, he, everything he's saying is pertaining to what I'm going through. And it was just, you know, it was really strange. So it was a, you know, I grew up a Catholic. I've known Jesus my whole life. And the way he says Jesus, you know, how many Jesus have you known? You know, I thank God I've always known him. But to learn more and more through coming here and going to the Bible studies, they have great uh, table leaders at the um, at the Confident Living and just learning more and more and more. Now this is a place, instead of a need, it's a want. I want to know more. I want to learn more. And by this and by wanting this and learning more, um, you know, something I thought I believed in, now I really believe in. And it's a, it's a, it's really a great feeling to, uh, to know Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Off the hook for now. Thanks, Adler Maria. Uh, Sue, often when, when talking about coming to faith and, and having walked with, with Jesus for a while, um, things must get easier and clearer that, that the more you know of God, surely you, you, you figure out more. Doesn't it tend to get easier? Well, not necessarily. Um, when I was young, I thought being a Christian would mean my life would be easier. Um, but we still go through the same trials and struggles everyone does. Um, it's just how we respond to them that may be different. Um, we do have somewhere to turn for help, and that has made a real difference. Mm-hmm. Hey, I, I just figured out I didn't actually need to use the... Uh... Intelligence test, like I said. Um, what, what has been a, uh, a particularly difficult uh, challenge for you uh, in your faith? Well, as, as many of you know, um, on June 25, 2011, our then 17-year-old grandson, Ryan, excuse me, I usually don't write down, but <clears throat> anyway, I'll be fine. Um, Ryan was buried in a sand tunnel while at the beach with his church and was without oxygen for 10 to 15 minutes. Um, It was a miracle he survived at all. Um, He did survive, but with an anoxic brain injury. Um, We prayed for God to completely heal Ryan. It has been over two years since the accident, and we are still praying for a full recovery for Ryan, and hoping and waiting to see what God will do. We are continuing to see small but significant improvements, which we thank God for. The challenge is to continue to pray, hope, and wait, knowing that God is in control over the outcome and accepting whatever the outcome is. Wow. wow it's certainly a very, very difficult situation. And in what ways have you grown in your faith through this? Well, I feel that I have really matured in my faith. Um, there are things that I have learned and experienced during these two years that I probably would not have learned except by going through a hard time. Um, the one thing, I, I have a few things that I'll try to, you know, make it clear and concise and not go on and on. Um, That's my job, going on and on. <laughs> okay, I'll leave it to you. Um, I am experiencing God's peace 
It's a peace that passeth all understanding, which you've heard about, but I have experienced it. Um, I have learned to trust and depend on God more. I have learned that God is truly in control and takes care of all the details. Uh, I tend to be an organizer and worry about the details. Um, But now I can truly let go and let God. And that has been a real eye-opener for me. Um, We are still praying and hoping that Ryan will be fully restored. But we know that God is in control. And that because Ryan is a Christian, in God's eyes, Ryan is fully healed. Um, You know, his physical appearance is not important. Um, God is using us to grow, grow us in our faith not just me, but our entire family, Mm -hmm. and I am truly thankful for that. And I Mm -hmm. truly believe that God is not finished yet. So we will wait, and we will pray, and we'll wait and see what the outcome is. So, thank you. All right. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's it. Can't be trusted with this thing, so... Uh, for for you, thank you, thank you very much. Uh, and and we see faith is not just a one time event. It's not just a thing or a status, but it is an ongoing, continuous revelation of who God it is. It is deepening intimacy. It is when the the wider areas of life most of which we can't control, scrape away what we thought we're holding on to. Faith is, is what remains. It is who we really, truly, ultimately know God to be. And that is cultivated and worked through day to day. That is what we're about, the person of Christ. Now, I'm going to let you in on a little secret that uh, we, we mentioned a few times, uh, kind of tech situations and whatnot. Uh, no, I'm not looking at you, Evan. Okay, I am looking at you now. But... Um, there's something bizarre going on here, and I can only equate it to spiritual warfare. Now, most of the time, I'm an idiot, and I forget things, and so it's not really right to say spiritual warfare when, you know. But about 10.59, usually, every single Sunday, what happens a minute later? Something, I don't know. About 10.59, every Sunday, the computer completely just shuts down and crashes. Every single week, it just shuts down, it dies, all video, everything needs rebooted, and it's just a continuous thing. So this, um, this latest iteration for whatever happened, um, the, the slide notes that I have didn't make it through. But maybe that, that's not necessarily spiritual warfare, maybe that's God saying, hey, you know those books in front of you? Let's, let's check those out. So we're going to go old school, and rather having the text up here, I will ask everybody to follow along, follow along in the uh, Pew Bibles. Uh, it's 1160. If you do have a pew Bible, if you have your own, you're on your own. Um, But it's Colossians chapter 2, just verses 1 to 7. I think the real reason that the, uh, the, the media went down was for the Believe, for the title slide, I had the cover of Justin Bieber's album, and that was probably blasphemy beyond compare, and that's what shut it down. So I, I really did, but... All right, what we're going to be looking to is simply this. It doesn't matter how much we have. We all need more Jesus. It doesn't matter how much we have. 
We all need more Jesus because what that means is there's more areas of our lives that are surrendered to God, that are known by God, that are open to God, usable by God, exalted by God, put on display for the world, more and more faith. So jumping right in, Colossians 2, verse 1, I want you to know how hard I am continually contending, literally the word is how I agonize for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. This is Paul writing to churches that were planted by someone else. He hasn't met them, but he's encouraging them. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's a mouthful. That's an awful lot going on. I'm going to break it down. It's, it's really not, not a whole lot. Um, Paul was in Ephesus. He had been contending with a lot of churches, with a lot of opposition. This is sort of midway through his missionary journeys. He's in Ephesus, and if you read First and Second Corinthians, there's all this mess going on, all this brokenness and hurt, and people are hating on Paul, and back and forth. So he's in Ephesus, dealing with the church in Corinth. And why he's there, he writes, uh, he writes this letter to the uh, Colossian church, uh, or I mean, why he's there, there was a massive church planning campaign that was going on, and so all these people were going out into what we now know as Turkey, planting churches. And two churches were planted, one in Colossia, one in the nearby Laodicea. We meet them in Revelation, uh, the super rich mega church, and the, the tiny community church and he's writing to these people saying this is my goal you don't know me but but you know a friend of mine Epaphras he's the guy that that shared the gospel with you and this is what it's all about it's about faith in a person now at that time what was going on in this area is called the Lycus Valley that's just the area where where all these churches were there's all this heresy and teaching about all the different flavors of Jesus that really didn't ask as much as the real Jesus tended to that um, you could just sort of um, believe yourself out of whatever trouble you're in and anything spiritual is good and anything physical is bad. And so that was a teaching that was just taking off in terms of uh, you have to just deny yourself and deny yourself because you're stinking evil weasel. And if you just sort of somehow escape the body mystically, then you could be united with Christ because he's holy. So people are getting swept up in this teaching. People are getting swept up in, well, you don't really need to meet together as a body. You just, you, you said yes to Jesus and see you in heaven. And, and so there's all all this strangeness that was going on and Paul was saying, guys, you're missing it. It's not about getting a lottery ticket and just sitting on it. It's about an ongoing, real vibrant relationship, which is going to cash out weekly and monthly and daily in your life. What does belief actually look like? Now, Paul had just gotten done in the last chapter telling people how important this was. He says, look, my life is a complete mess. God got a hold of it. My purpose is just that others would know this person who could save the foremost sinner like me. So um, just before, a few verses before that, Colossians 1.24, he says, I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you, how I suffer emotionally worrying about you, how I suffer lack of sleep as I stay up praying for you, how, how I, I am just uh, talking with people and training leaders up and sending them anything I can to support because this is important. I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you and I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in regard to Christ's sufferings for the sake of his body. Wait, what? Christ's sufferings? I thought, didn't he already die on the cross? Isn't that like all Jesus did for us? All? Eternity and hell for each one of us? Um, 
He suffered for us. But what Paul was letting everyone know is that Christ is still suffering for us. Christ is, if you would, underwriting our ongoing rebellion and not getting it and our sin and our frailness. And and as we're trying to get this right, he has forgiven us all, um, taken that all upon him on the cross. That is suffering. But until this is a real time completion with all of this, there's this ongoing suffering. Christ said that you are my body. So whenever the church suffers, Christ suffers. And so Paul is saying that as a minister of the church of Christ, everything that I do, that's part of the plan of the value of the people of God united in Christ and the necessary cost to achieve that. And there's a cost that Christ paid in removing the penalty from our sins. And there's a cost that each one of us pays. Again, faith came to us free because it was paid in full by Christ, right? But it is not free. It is the most valuable, expensive thing ever. And as we recognize that value, as we recognize uh, what God is doing in us and his commitment to us, we are willing to pay whatever cost, whatever surrender, whatever we need to give up. Because it's about a faith in a person. 128, he is the one we proclaim, teaching and admonishing everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. For this I contend with all the strength and all the power and all the grace that God gives me. This is what he's saying. That everyone would be full and whole and complete. For Paul, the goal isn't that everyone believes the same thing. That everyone has the same theology. That everyone can pass a Bible knowledge test. He's saying, no, no, no. That everyone would be full and complete in Christ. How people forgive, how people are generous, how people engage one another, how people are pouring their lives in and encouraging, people seeing value, beauty in the most unlikely people and places. How every aspect of life affects us, Paul's saying that's what it means to be complete in Christ. There isn't a single part of our lives, those that people know about, those that only we know about or think we know about. There isn't a single aspect of our lives that's not vitally important to God. That he is not vitally at work challenging and changing. Sifting away that which is not of him. And, and, and building and filling out that which is glorious and beautiful. And it comes down to belief. See, belief is really displacement. Because until coming to Christ and even as Christians... Ephesians chapter 4 says this, we are continually being corrupted according to the lust of deceit. In other words, we're getting worse. We're buying more lies from this world. Our flesh wants to be more lazy, more self-centered, all about us. We, 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 our, our love tends to grow cold because it, we're indifferent to others and it gravitates toward us. That is our old nature, our old way of thinking. And, and so what Paul, what Paul is saying is... Um, Every single aspect of our life is, is to be exalted and lifted up in him. And we need each other to do that. Far from just being on the same page, far from just knowledge being worked together, Paul says the rest of life is to bring every single part of life before Christ. Think about it. Is there any aspect of your life that God does not want to make beautiful, make whole? And it may, it may involve quite a lot of rewiring. That's what he is about here. I'm going to cut to the chase right now. What does a maturing faith for the believer look like? 
talked about hearts being knitted together in love. Again, the Hebrew understanding of heart is your will, your intention, what I choose to do, what's most important. It's not my heart's going pitter pat. Okay, that, that's 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 emotion. The Hebrew understanding of heart is will. That your hearts would be knitted together. In other words, that you would choose to love each other with the love that I'm showing you. Love is a feeling, but it's not just a feeling. It is a choice. It is an act. And the mark of maturity, the, the mark of belief, is that we're all actively loving each other, especially when we're unlovable. Because how lovable do you think you are before God? Well, in terms of what we deserve, absolutely not at all. In terms of his heart poured out to us because love's other-centered completely. And that's the transformation he wants to make with each of us. Not that we will do what we should do when we feel like it, but we'll do it anyway. And we know that God is going to fill us. He's going to displace. See, when I was saying coming to Christ and we're being corrupted, what that means is we all believe We all have a theology and a belief that is absolutely true for us. This is what is true about my body, about my finances, about my work, about my family, about how I can show myself to be important to others, about how I make my life work. We all believe something. What do you believe about what is most true, about how justice works, about how love is manifest? Okay, the problem is in our fallenness and our lifeline being cut off from God, we've learned to believe all sorts of false things about every single area of our life. We've learned to feel all sorts of areas of our life apart from God. And whereas that's familiar, it is not home and not as it should be. And so in our belief, it's not just facts, but it's putting in everything that is true and right and good of God, that in the same way that a glass that's full can't be made any more full, you can pour another liquid in and that will displace what's in there. We've been filled with lies from the world, from the flesh, what is home to us, and we we allow God to fill us with his spirit, every aspect of our life. And that displacement is what true belief is. Every part of our bodies, of our lives, of our minds resonating with God. It says that maturing faith should, that we should be encouraged. That we're not dependent on our circumstances. Every generation has said, this is the worst generation yet. Can you believe kids these days? Yada, yada, yada. It's never been any worse. There's a quote. Kids today, they no longer respect their parents. They mock authority. They dress the way they want to. They have their own attitudes and language. And they do not understand or honor their parents. That was a serious 722 B.C. Not a whole lot has changed. And so we could think, all oh, this world's going to hell in a handbasket. So my grandma used to say, hell in a handbasket. Um, and uh, and, and we, we're discouraged of it's getting worse. It's getting more difficult. This next generation will be the first in America that does not have an inevitably higher standard of living than, than the previous one. That's cutting across a lot of expectations. That's cutting across a lot of the way life should be. And it's only going to get more pronounced. The challenges, the struggles, the tribalism, the racism, the sexism, the, 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 the isolation and indifference. It's only going to get worse. And so we can quickly lose hope. We can quickly just want to be a holy huddle and we're just going to stay together and, 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 and stay the same until Jesus comes back, I hope, fast. But that doesn't really work because that's not how we were made to live in this world. 
That we would be encouraged that God is bringing things to fulfillment and completion. That what is messed up in this world and messed up in my heart, God is fixing. God is changing. That there's real results and real hope. That every choice we make redounds in eternity. That God and all of heaven are watching us and our drama is playing out. That should be encouraging. I don't care how old you are, you should be able to say as in Christ, as a follower, my best years are yet ahead of me. Sure, we can look back to some good memories and glory days and all of that, and we all do, but that is nothing in comparison to what God still is bringing in and through your life, now and for eternity. That's encouraging. That is hope. Because it's not based on circumstances that we can't control. 98% of your life you have no control over whatsoever. You can't control the economy. You can't control uh, the larger political, geopolitical landscape. Uh, We have a hard enough time controlling even our own emotional life within, much less understanding it, much less sharing it, much less being vulnerable and connecting at that level. We really can control very little. So when we rely on that for a sense of well-being or hope or how am I doing as a Christian, it is discouraging. But that's the difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is based on what's going on around me. It's good, I'm good. But if we can't control it, Vegas gives you a lot better odds, seriously. 23 black, baby, I'm feeling lucky. Um, But if it's internal... If it's a relationship with somebody who's already demonstrated that you might think you're not worth it, but he suffered an eternity in hell just for you, that you would know his love right now. Having demonstrated that, will he not freely give us all things that we need? A very different approach where we can be encouraged, we can be hopeful the more we know God, the light shining brighter in the darkness. And then finally, he says that we will have an assurance from knowing all that is valuable to know about Christ, that there'll be a wisdom, there'll be a knowledge. We'll understand how this world works, not at the point at which we experience it, not at the point at which we've learned by having our hands burned 10 times through through bad choices, but we'll understand how this world works from God's perspective, how it is supposed to, how the, the flow of relationship is supposed to happen. And we won't just keep doing the definition of crazy, even as believers, doing the same thing over and over again and hoping for a different result. But there's hope for change. There is assurance that God is the one who has his hand on the wheel. God is the one who's bringing this to change. And we have roles, but it's not on us. Said that there'll be a proper wisdom for life. We'll know how things work, how best to engage. And that is belief. And that is faith. And that is growing into the fullness that God has. There there was an engineer that worked for a company. He was about 63. They wanted to early retire him so they didn't have to pay benefits. I'm sure this is the first you've ever heard of this happening. And and so early retirement. Thanks, Joe. We appreciate you. Here's a golden watch. Dominus, Dominus, goodbye. Um, About a month and a half later, his area of operation suddenly broke. And none of the young stars that were coming up and they wanted to have work for them knew how to fix it. And so they called him back. And so he said, hey, you fired me. They said, well, we need you to be a consultant. He said, okay, I'll I'll do it, but for the consultant fee. And so he went in. Five minutes later, all the machinery is working. And he walks out and he gave him a bill for $50,000. And on the bill it said, $1 to replace sheared cotter bolt. $49,999 knowing where to put it. 
Okay, it's experience. It's not just the knowledge of these are the parts and what to do with it, but it is working through all the idiosyncrasies of life and having done it and being there. That is the value that Paul is talking about here in knowing Christ and belief. That everything we do in here has everything to do with the rest of life out there and in here. And then getting to the the ultimate meat here, and I'll end just because uh, I want to focus on this. That our lives would be rooted in him. Verse 6. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Three things. Where do we go from here? It says, rooted in love. Better translation, having been rooted. Okay, this is a tense that something was done, done once and for all, and now there's a present tense result. This is what God did. We're not going to screw this up. We, ha- we can stop worrying about it. He established us. He reconnected the lifeline. That, that in using this, this illustration of a plant, it's like a taproot going down to the water. We are alive. God did that. He transplanted us. Psalm 1. Blessed is the person who basically wises up and listens to what God does. He's like a person transplanted. Not planted. The word is literally transplanted by streams of living water. See, we're used to growing in a desert and being cacti. Right? We don't have a whole lot and not a whole lot we can control and we don't know if we're going to get any more and we don't want to share it with anyone else because it's all up to me. So I'm a cactus. I'm just going to suck up the moisture around me, hold on to it, and maybe there'll be a little flower bloom. Bink! Maybe not. But, but I'm just a cactus. That's life apart from God. And it says the person who is in God has been transplanted from the desert, from the dryness, to a place of unlimited water. That you just keep drinking. More roots you put down, the more you keep drinking. That is what this is talking about here. Being rooted. Okay, rooted is connected to the life source. So having been reconnected to the life source, having been given everything that you need to flourish, to abound, and it doesn't matter if you're in a desert, because this is the oasis. Do you know what the best translation for the word rooted is? Radical. It's a scientific name. Radical. It's a radical. You put it, and so what Paul is saying, our lives have been radicalized. Our lives have been radicalized. Um, somebody else said this, and I can't remember his name. Um, so I'll just say somebody else said this from a church in Washington. Christ did not die to make us safe. Christ died to make us dangerous. See, Christ did not come... To save us from hell, to put us in a medically sealed bubble, like Bubble Boy from Seinfeld, to where we're protected from the world and nothing's going to happen to us and nothing's going to hurt us. Jesus' high priestly prayer before he went to accomplish this very salvation thing was, Lord, I ask you not to take them, us, usins, out of the world, but that you would keep them in the world, that they would see the reality of the love, the glory, the interchange. They would see the living above the circumstances. We have been radicalized. Rather than just being people that were being sorted into egg cartons and who's going to get delivered to heaven, being made safe, we've been made dangerous. Dangerous for the enemy. Dangerous for the kingdom of darkness. Because it's Christ now who's fighting the battles. He's working through us as channels. Rooted, radicalized, connected to the life source. Radically different than anything this world could ever hope to offer.
And then now presently being built up in love. It's not a one-time event. It is an ongoing, continuous, repetitive event. Christ died once and for all to breach the gap between God and man, between us. We accept that. We are connected. We celebrate that symbolically about every other week, a little bit more. Um, But we live that out in reality every single day in our lives. And then finally, it says that we're overflowing with thankfulness. Paul's most radical prayer in the book of Philippians is pray without ceasing, pray for me at all times, and with your prayers make every supplication and petition known with thanksgiving, like spaghetti and meat sauce. You mix it together. You just you can't get any spaghetti without meat sauce on it or meat sauce without spaghetti in it. Your prayers are just infused with thanksgiving. Because what that's saying is, I see it, God. I get it. I'm able to look past me. See, I, I've got eye disease. Now, I'm nearsighted. I'm legally blind without contacts and, and some other stuff. But I'm talking about the letter I, me, eye disease. That it's really difficult for me to see past myself. That, that my pride can be so blinding or I can be show, so short-sighted because of it. It's really difficult to see all that God is doing. Or what I think I deserve versus what I really deserve. And that hasn't changed. And so what helps me to get past my eye disease is this overflowing with thankfulness. We thank God for what he's done. We praise him for who he is. And this is the proper reorientation that there's always more Christ that he wants to pour into us. There's always more of the world that he wants to displace from us as we're allowing himself to fill us. So everything we do at this church is unto that. Like I said, belonging is simply we're open for business. All are welcome that they can encounter the living God. We talk a good talk, but how do we walk the good walk? And this is the legacy of Bethel. This is a strength. This is a core value. Welcoming, open. We're glad you're here. Come for the whatever, stay for the Jesus. But it's the rest of this story that gets me most excited because it is real life, real change, real people. It is a real God, and and, and that is your story. That is my story. No one can take that away. Believe. Each of us has a role. Each of us has an opportunity here in terms of belief. If you are seeking God, if you're wondering what is the reality behind people who call upon this God, call upon this Jesus, what is up with people claiming a transformed lives, what your opportunity is is to see God up close and personal. Talk with people, share stories, join together. Let's look at God's word together. Ask the hard questions. There is no question you should not be able to ask in church, of God, because every aspect is important and vital. And God speaks to us in many, many different ways. So nothing is off the table, nothing is off limits, and we should be able to deal with the hard questions in life and, and in, um, in the rest of it. If you're a new believer, opportunities to nourish a growing faith. And it's our responsibility as a church, how do we provide more and more pathways of discipleship? And I'm not just talking about classes. They're fine, but they're very, very limited. I'm a teacher, and I, I say there's, they're, they're good but limited. It's how do we get lives together? How do we get discipling teams working and transferring us down through the church? How do we do the rest of life, the rest of the week together? 
where the Bethel Christian Church is believers getting together, praying, strengthening, helping, serving throughout the city, throughout this week. And that's where the vitality and the power and the transformation is happening. As I said before, I try, and I know I don't always succeed, I try to prepare the best meal possible in, 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 with the word. But if you're only feeding once a week, you're going to starve. I'm going to starve. And so how can we work this out? So in every way, every day, what's appropriate? How do we continue to avail ourselves more toward God? Lastly, but of of primary importance, I'd like to invite the deacons forward. I'd like to invite the worship team up for us to share in communion. If you're seeking God, if you know, know God, we should still be seeking him. If we're seeking God, we are all equal. It is a level, level ground at the foot of the cross. We are all sinners. We are all broken. We're all in need of forgiveness. And God in his love didn't just give us what we deserve. Pure justice would be punishing us for our rebellion. But it's a debt we could never, ever pay. It's a debt we will never be able to pay. So God in his love took the just punishment upon himself The wages of sin are not six hours of body piercing. The wages of sin is an eternity of separation, an eternity of destruction. That's what I justly deserve, Bill Osgood, sinner. Christ in his love suffered that for me, suffered that for you. That there is no guilt, there is no shame, there is no dividing wall, there is nothing to hinder us from coming to him. But not just once, continuously, that it would be his life lived through us. So we're going to have the band just play musically. Going to ask for you to really focus in your heart and allow God to speak to you. If you don't know him, that's absolutely okay. This is, this is part of the journey. Ask him to show himself to you in a way that's meaningful. You can let this pass. This is a symbolic way to help me because I forget and life is busy what it's really all about. His sacrifice for me and his brokenness I made whole. So I'm going to have the deacons distribute the elements. Uh, We will all partake together at the end. If there's anything going on in your life that you're wrestling with or working through and you need to just let this pass, that's absolutely fine as well. If there's anything in your heart you have against somebody, God's bringing that to mind, let this pass. Deal with it first. God will bless you greatly. But here's an opportunity to focus on what is it that I really believe? And how much more of my life would God God want to fill with that reality, with His Spirit, because of His sacrifice?
on what you have done that would better show us who you are your heart of love your gracious extension of mercy how you delight over your children how you are taking frail lives and empowering them beyond what we could imagine pray we would not settle for anything of this world or half measures or getting by or putting our backs down that we would continue the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Thank you for your love. We thank you for your enabling grace. We thank you for your forgiveness. It is perfect. Amen. The night that our Lord was handed over, He took bread, He gave thanks, and He broke it. And looking out at His friends, He said, This is my body which is broken for you. Every time that you eat of this, this you do in remembrance of me, the body of Christ, the bread of heaven. He then took a cup of wine, and after blessing it, he said, In this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for the forgiveness of many sins. Every time you drink of this, this you are doing in remembrance of me, the blood of Christ, the cup of salvation. We worship you, Father. We thank you. We bless you. In your name we pray. Amen. Please pass your cups to the center. We'll continue worshiping. So um, I wonder if, if you guys wouldn't mind, I'm going to have the uh, ushers come down now. And, you know, and I know this, this may feel strange maybe to some of you, but here's the deal. 
when it comes to offering or giving of our tithes, it's not a it's not a skipping of a beat in our worship service. It is in as much tied to our devotion and our love for Jesus as receiving the salvific offer that comes through communion. So I want to pray, and I want you to uh, to join in with me on this. Father, we thank you that you have looked after us the way that you have. That the cross of Christ Jesus was not accidental. It was not something that was unforeseen. Rather, it was something that you have been looking forward to eagerly from before the foundations of the earth to bring your children to yourself. And we love to receive this from you. We love to be brought close. We love to be called children and not strangers. We thank you that you're reconciling the world through your son, Jesus. So, Father, our offering back to you, back to your purpose, back to your kingdom, it's not one out of guilt. It's not one out of shame. It's not something that we manipulated, Lord. It's out of a grateful heart. We love what you have done for us, and we want the world to know. We want the city to know what Jesus has done for them as well. So may our offering be pleasing to you, not in how much it is, but may our offering be pleasing to you because it comes from that place of gratitude. May you be glorified in our desire to see your kingdom advance this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.
talking about is heritage and legacy. See, heritage is everything that's behind us, why we are the way we are. There's a heritage of Bethel Christian Church, which is robust, which is real, which has brought us to this point. But legacy is everything that lies in front of us. What are we passing down to all those around us? See, there's a statement that goes like this. You never really learn something until you have to teach it until you have to teach someone else. And that is faith. That is belief. That when it's we're learning and we're growing and it's all of this, it, it can be passive, it can be active, but it's just us. But when we're walking with people through similar circumstances, when we're wrestling together with people and we're seeking God together, when we're explaining His Word and how it works in our stories, that is when we grow yet deeper. And so for everyone here that claims Jesus, there is a legacy in sharing and in growing. And as we heard that Jesus goes from knowing about to this, this robust three-dimensional experience in every aspect of life, that even when things get difficult or the impossibly difficult happens in our lives, that there is a transcendent power of God who continues to hold us up and hold us beyond. So there is a vital role for each and every person in seeking and sharing and pouring into and making Christ so much more manifest in more and more areas of our life. Next week's going to be a little bit different, so so pray it up. We're going to talk about what does it mean to be the change within and without, but thank you for hanging in here with a vision. The rest of it is where we get to roll up our sleeves and do it together. I'd like to invite our prayer counselors forward. I'm going to meet right here, spend as much time as you would like in prayer. Um, if you'd like to find out more about just how we can connect in, in the week to week and what's going on, there's some couches over there and people that would love to talk with you. Go, and my prayer this week is that we would know the love of God in areas of our life that God would like to transform as we continue to believe more and more what is real, what is life-giving, what is Him. See you next week. God bless.